Thank you for joining me on episode 29 of the Unique On Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Gentleman, just a regular gal trying to help people know that they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. And today, husband, father, pastor, and now published author, Mark Sowersby, shares how he forgave his nightmare. After spending most of his childhood sexually abused by those who were supposed to protect him, Mark turned his victim mentality into freedom. Listen in on his forgiveness story. Welcome back to the Unique on Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. And we are traveling all the way to Massachusetts today with father, husband, pastor, and recent author of the book, Forgiving the Nightmare, which we will get to in a minute. But Mark Sowersby, Mark, I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks for joining me today. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, your story is is one of forgiveness, but it's also a story of what shouldn't have been. All the things that you've accomplished really shouldn't have happened in your life, but that's okay because that's when God gets the glory, right? The things that should not have Amen. been, <laughs> that's, that's when Jesus comes into the picture. But we're going to focus more on the forgiveness aspect. And before we get to that, I have to, uh, I, I think I found out a secret about you. You're a Petra fan. Aren't you? I am a Petra fan. That's right. <laughs> you're you're now, showing now your you age. Now you got to go back to old Petra, old Petra, not new Petra. I mean Greg X Volt Petra. <laughs> I mean beat the system. I mean that's that. I I am classic Petra. Red is the color of the blood that flows. You know that that's you know the, that's me. Yeah, I'm yeah. old Petra. Yeah, I'm you're showing, my say, age, you're showing your age right now, but we... well, that was sanctified rock and roll, right? That's all we could listen to. Everything else was wrong. So. We had Petra. We had Didn't you have Larry Striper? Norman. That's about. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so. I went to a Hard Rock Cafe in Chicago, and I was shocked to see all, and all their lines of guitars. They had a Striper guitar, and yeah. I thought that yeah, was cool. I thought wow. that was neat. But anyway, so I just let's start from the beginning. Let's just start with your testimony, and then we'll go into the book a little bit. So, kind of take me back. Who is Mark, and what's your story? Well, Mark's a normal guy, you know, blue collar, blue guy. I came from a, a, a family just like everybody else. But, you know, I, I lived with a lot of dysfunction in my life. Unfortunately, from the age of 7 to 14, 7 to 14, uh, a man came into my life and he began to abuse me, began to abuse my body, my spirit, my soul. He abused me in every way, shape, and form. He, he physically molested me. He sold me to be molested by other men. He burnt me, stabbed me. It just really stole my dignity, my self-respect, any value that I had. And he left me broken. He left me confused. He left me as a victim. And he left me in that state. So from the time of 7 to 14, I dealt with that. And I had to kind of reason through, a, uh, reason through that, how to deal with that as a child. But that's my, my testimony in a nutshell of, of the nightmare that I went through of the child abuse that I had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Give me a little bit more of the backstory as far as your, because you didn't grow up with your biological father, correct? I did not. I did not. So uh, tell me I'm that actually, situation. Uh, sure. I, I was born from an affair. My mother was in a hurting place in her life. Her and my father met in in life. He was married to another. My mom was divorced, and I was a product of that. Mm-hmm. So I did not grow up with my biological father. My mother kind of felt ashamed, broken, embarrassed, and never uh, 
sued to have my father in my life. I did get to meet my father when I was 45, the first time I got to meet my dad, and I thank God for that time. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, so I grew, I grew up. My mother was broken. She was hurt in her own, living in her own pain. She married a man 19, 20 years younger than her. He was dysfunction. He was in a lot of he was a place of pain and hurt, and he brought that poison into our home, and he's the individual that began to abuse me from the time I was seven to I was 14. Mm -hmm. When did you find out that you were a product of an affair? Well, I always knew I didn't know my dad. Um, I, I have two siblings, and uh, they knew their dad. Their, my mom was divorced from their dad, so their dad would come and pick them up. And, the, but I, and so I knew that it was a different. I knew that I didn't know my dad. I didn't know it was from an affair until I got older, but I just didn't know it. Like, my dad wasn't there. I was told mm -hmm. that as a child, I was told that when my mother found out she conceived me, that my dad left the picture. Mm -hmm. And that's all I knew. And then, again, we just kind of grew up in a real broken home because of the divorce of my mother's first husband. We were living back with my grandmother, so I was born in my grandmother's home. So I didn't really know all these pains and hurts that happened prior to me. I was kind of born in the midst of all that and mm -hmm. uh, all that pain and dysfunction. Did it make you feel different when you did find that out? Uh, you know, I, I guess I really never put a lot of thought into that. It just, I felt the way I was. I, mm -hmm. I, I never felt any different. I guess because of the abuse, I already felt so low about myself and so so unworthy of anything. Mm -hmm. I felt so broken, so different. So, I mean, my nucleus family, my brother and sister, they, they never pointed that out to me. They've never made me feel like a, a half brother or mm -hmm. they've, they've always considered me a full brother. Actually, my sister gets mad if I tease her and tell her I'm only, Hey, I'm only your half brother. She tells me to stop it. And, you know, it's a good sister. So it's, uh, you know, so yeah, I, I got a great sister. So, I mean, I never really, my, my immediate brother and sister uh, and my extended family, uncles and aunts never treated me any different. So I really didn't know that until I got older and understood what that meant. So you said that you were abused in your teenage years. Did I hear you correctly? It was 13 to 17? It was, uh, uh, no, it was 7 to 14. 7 to 14. Seven oh, to 14. my gosh. So seven it was years formative old years. years. And yep. did you yep. think that that abuse was normal? I knew it wasn't normal. I knew it was incorrect. I mean, obviously, when you're being stabbed and burnt and beaten down and molested, mm -hmm. and I, I knew it wasn't, I knew it wasn't normal. I knew that was, uh, you know, wrong. Mm -hmm. I just, as a seven-year-old, I didn't know how to deal with it. I, yeah. I, I went to those around me who were supposed to be those who protect me and and take care of me, and because of their own hurts and pains, they were unable to or unwilling to. Okay. So. so, did you think that others, fam other families went through what you went through? And if you didn't, like, were you jealous or resentful of other families that you went to school with that, that were in your neighborhood? You know, I, I was lost. I think mm -hmm. the best word for me to talk about those years is lost. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I had enough capacity to, to project that kind of thinking or attitude on others. I was so much in my own pain, in my own world in my own black hole if you would in my own pit of despair that i really could not look beyond it to mm. say well they're better or okay. they're stronger or they have more i have less my pain and my my hurt just consumed everything about me and really all i wanted was an escape from it that's all i wanted i i didn't want what somebody else had i just wanted to escape out of my own hurt and pain and did you escape 
Well, uh, eventually, yes. At 14, uh, two things happened at 14. First of all, I got big enough and wise enough to fight off my attacker. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I thought to myself, you know, I'm gonna, if you're going to take a pound of flesh, I'm going to take a pound of flesh. And maybe that's not the right way to think, but I was 14 years old yeah. and I was getting some size and strength. But really what happened at 14 years old, I confessed to my uncle. Uh, unfortunately, we lost my uncle in 1988. He was 38 years old. But I confessed to my uncle at, uh, when I was 14, and he became my protector. He was my mm. mother's younger brother. See, my abuser always lied to me. My abuser, of course, that's what abusers do, right. would say, if you tell if you tell anybody, they'll take you away. If they tell anybody, you, you know, they, just the classic lies of, of a manipulator, a liar, a narcissist. But, but at 14, I had the courage to tell my uncle, and, and he definitely, he was the one who, who protected me. First time I felt like an adult was on my side, that, that somebody that loved me enough to, to you know, uh, just stand in my corner and, and be an advocate and a protector for me. And how did he do that? Because you're living with your abuser. So how did your uncle come in? I mean, did he go to the police or, or how did that happen? You know, it's funny you ask that question because I think we have to go back a little bit. Now, the years I was abused was from 1977 to 1984. I was 7 to 14, so you'll figure out my age. I'm over 50 now. (laughs) But those, those years, there wasn't as much advocacy as there is now, awareness there is now, um, support there is now, counseling. In those years when these things happened, it kind of happened behind closed doors. I'm not trying to excuse it. I'm just kind of right. identifying it. Yeah. It happened behind closed doors, and it was something that families figured out, right? Mm. It's something you would never talk about. It's something you didn't bring out to public. It, you know, it's something that the families, and unfortunately, it didn't and allowed abuse to take care. So to think about my years of abuse, I think I was that last last generation, if you would, the last group that didn't have the awareness, the support, the advocacy. So what my uncle did is that, yeah, I came and lived with him. Oh, uh, I okay. Came to, yeah. So, so I remember I, I confessed to my uncle what was taking place. I, I, uh, you know, admit, not admitted, but I told him, reported to my uncle what was taking place. And uh, obviously my mom knew at this point, and because of her own pain and own hurt, she didn't know how to deal with it. She was in denial of it. So my uncle called up, obviously frustrated, angered, disturbed, and he was very firm. And he, he told my mom that I was going to stay with him. And, and she knew why. Yeah. Uh, she knew why. So, of course, she thought that was for the best. So I mm-hmm. ended up living with my uncle. Yep. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah, it was. Yep. My uncle and aunt were really... Uh, just the, like I said, some of the first adults at that time that said, we believe you mm-hmm. and you're not bad and you're okay. Yeah. So now let's fast forward. You now are living Amen. with your uncle and you were obviously not raised in the church. Did you know anything about Jesus, about forgiveness, about healing? Did you know anything about that growing up? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. Growing up, I didn't know what I was, but I knew what I wasn't. Let's put it that way. I would okay. say to my family members, um, like, what are we? Well, we believe Jesus. You know, you're good. God loves you. Mm-hmm. Well, are we Catholic? No, I knew I wasn't Catholic. <laughs> that was a, that was, I, I didn't know what I was, but we knew we weren't Catholic. So, mm-hmm. But other than that, yeah, there was a form of faith. I, you know, I use the word faith very loosely. There was a form, though, and like, hey, God loves you. Be a good person. And Jesus died for us. You know, kind of see what they call CE Christians, Christmas and Easter. Okay. You know, that kind of, yeah. So, I mean, there wasn't a strong, I didn't attend church. My mom as a child attended church. So some of that 
kind of filtered through. But, you know, we had really no strong faith or foundation of faith at all. Mm -hmm. And then how did you then begin to go to church? Well, you know, around the summer I was turning 16, so 15, 16 years old, about a year after my you know, my abuse ended. I, there was a youth group and uh, there was, well, actually I'll back up. There was a, there was a pool and at that pool, there was a lifeguard. You know, I was a teenage boy and she was a pretty girl and she invited me to church. Yeah. It's a no brainer. I said, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I said, sure. And her and her boyfriend picked me up to go to church that night. So, you know, I knew oh, I was, bummer. but uh, yeah, it's okay. So I went to church and it was like nothing I haven't seen before. They were my peers. There were people that cared The the youth pastor had a mullet. Okay. We're talking about the eighties now. All right. But, so, I mean, but there was, you know, they, they, it was a culture I never found before and uh, finding a place to, to express myself and feel free. And, and I'll never forget a time sometime later, I, I kind of went on a Wednesday night, didn't go back for a few months. I went back and, and it was another Wednesday night and that, that coming Saturday, they were climbing a mountain. We have a mountain in our area. It's, called Mount Monadnock. It's in New Hampshire. And it seems like every youth group climbs it, no matter what generation you're from. And, mm-hmm. and that Saturday, that Saturday in front of our house, a bunch of cars stopped and beeped the horn and they were yelling to me. I remember there's five, six, seven cars full of youth. Hey, Mark, come on down. We want to take you. I didn't even have the right shoes on. I had no money. I didn't have the right clothes. But you know what? The youth pastor and the youth group took care of me that day. And I'll just never forget the, the crowd of cars beeping and calling for me. It made me feel welcome. It made me feel a part of. It made me feel accepted. And so that was really a big moment. And of course, uh, one Friday night, the youth pastor said, who wants to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? And before I knew it, my hand was up and I was at the altar crying. So did you know what that, did you know what that meant? When he asked that, I, I, I did, I did as much as I could, mm-hmm. you know, obviously when I look back now, I think about that conversion experience and I, I knew God loved me. I knew God died for me. I knew that, that he wanted to be my savior. So yeah, I understood that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I accepted. And I, I realized at that point, that was just the beginning of my journey. You know, that was the, I was saved. I was delivered as we say, hallelujah. But, uh, but now I had to, to go on this journey of, of forgiveness, this journey of grace, this journey of, of uh, recovery, if you would. Or, mm-hmm. So that's, that's where I started. Yeah. So share with me that journey. Wow. Well, that journey started by learning to trust. I think one of the one of the biggest casualties of somebody that's been abused in any way, shape, or form. You know, I call my book "Forgiving the Nightmare" because we all have a nightmare. Yeah. Mine was child abuse, but no matter what, I'm sure the listeners today can identify with a nightmare: a betrayal, a death, yeah. a sorrow, a pain, a sickness. And so, I would say that when you've been through a trauma, trust is one of the first casualties of that trauma. And for me. You know, I wanted to start to, to learn to trust. And, and how did I? I didn't know how to trust. I knew God loved me. I knew people cared about me. I knew I had a defender in my uncle and a supporter in the youth group. But I didn't know how to trust. So I had to start learning how to trust. And, and, of course, I was still surviving. You know, I was still trying to get by, protect myself. I, I was saved, but my mind was still thinking like a, like a victim. I was mm-hmm. still just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. So and that's where the story began. And as the Holy Spirit led me to, uh, led me to do, I remember God calling me to Bible school. Uh, and I wrestled with that for many years because I graduated high school as a dyslexic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a small bus, you know, right in the third grade level. Mm-hmm. And I thought, no way. Uh, 
academia was a, was a mountain to me, something that I feared. I, I never thought I could be smart enough to be a student. You know, when you're being abused at home and then bullied at school because of your poor school, you know, my life was just a mess. I was abused at home and bullied at school. Uh, so I had a lot of fear. And then I remember in my early 20s, the Lord saying, go to Bible school. And, and really the Holy Spirit just came and said, choose this day, I'll be with you. And so many miracles took place in that in that time of my life. And in that time of life, I was picked to go on a, I was picked for a school team. <laughs> Imagine me, this kid who did not grow up in the church, this kid had no background of church. I was picked to represent our school on our team. And one night they asked me to share my testimony up in Canada. And as I was sharing my testimony, I saw the whole room began to cry. And I thought, well, what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. And because the Holy Spirit moved on them when they talked about forgiveness and letting go. And, at that altar that night, the Lord put on my heart that I would, I would write a book and I would call it "Forgiving the Nightmare." And I laughed, <laughs> I laughed because I'm the Lord. I read at a third grade level. Remember, a dyslexic guy. Yeah. And that that's been inside me my whole life. In uh, 2019, my wife and I began to launch this. My mom went home to be with the Lord. I can say that it was an 11th hour, 59 minute conversion. But she asked Christ into her life, and and uh, you know, thief on the cross moment. But I. I thank God that she asked Jesus, and, and, and upon her death, I felt like I was really able to go and be able to start sharing about forgiving the nightmare. When did you come to that place of, I need to forgive my abuser, I need to forgive my mom, I need to forgive the people in the past that didn't believe me when I told them? Well, you know, it was such, I came to that place when, when I was tired of hurting. Mm-hmm. You to carry all that with me every day became such a burden. And it was like tentacles that my abusers still had on me. Now, here I was a father. I, I was married. I was pastoring. Uh, but still, this, the, the tentacles of abuse were still trying to control me. I was still shackled, if you would, because I had to carry that, that anger, that bitterness. Mm-hmm. So I finally had to just learn to die, right? What does Paul say? I, I died a self daily. And I said, God, I don't want this anymore. I can't have this anymore. And, mm-hmm. and then the journey of forgiveness. And, I, and I'll tell you, it's, it's a real journey. There was moments where it was up and down. You know, I thank God for the altar. And I went to the altar and I was prayed over it. And I, I wept at the altar. And that was just the beginning. But the real hard work of the journey, dealing with my own psyche, my own, my own self, my own uh, attitudes towards others. You know, I had to give up the victim mentality. I had a chip on my shoulder. Yeah. See, the world owes me something, right? <clears throat> right. The world, you know, and, uh, and I had to get rid of that. I had to get rid of that. I couldn't no longer uh, carry that around. I, I never forget when the Lord told me to let go of my victimhood. And I said, Lord, if I'm not a victim, I don't know how to be anything else. Mm-hmm. And the Lord, and wow. the Lord spoke to my heart. And he said, if you're not, I said, if I'm not a victim, what will I be? And he said, oh, he said, you'll be victorious. And uh, I knew what that meant. I knew that it meant if I trust God. So I tell people that my story is real. It didn't go away. It wasn't a hocus pocus. I was really abused. I was really stabbed. I was really burnt. I really went through these pains. And as much as I love Jesus, that pain didn't go away. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things I was hoping for, one day I would wake up and all that pain would be gone. And even today, I could tell you, I could conjure it up. I know what it feels like. I, I know what it sounds like. But what happened in my life is God became bigger than all the pain. So the pain's there. That mountain of pain is still there, but, but the mountain of God's love and grace and mercy and truth is, is bigger than all the pain. Now, let me tell you, when I say that, I say that with passion because that mountain of abuse is huge, mm-hmm. but God's mountain of love is bigger. It, like, it overshadows, it, it casts upon 
all the pain in my life. It doesn't mean I still don't struggle or doubt or, or wrestle with it from time to time. I mean, I shook my hand to heaven more than once and said, why? Yeah. And if you were there and why not? Why me? I did all that stuff. Of course, that's, that's a part of the journey. Yeah. You know, I, I think sometimes we have to realize uh, I have a friend of mine who's a doctor and, and they said to me that, Mark, people come to me and they want a pill to take care of everything. Right. And I said, and sometimes people go to church who want a prayer to take care of everything. And I believe prayer works. So I'm not putting that down at all. I believe, but prayer sometimes is the beginning of the journey. Lord, give me the courage. Right. Give me the strength to walk me through this valley because I know thou is with me. Now, you said you touched on something that I want to go back to, and you talked sure. about being a victim, and that was that was really the birth of the Unique on Purpose podcast. I was really sick of seeing uh, the victimhood in our culture because being a victim's hot, right? And, yeah, and powerful. it's sure. powerful, and we can use that in so many different ways to manipulate, to get the things that sure. we want. The more you are a victim, the better. But you said, yep. no, I'm, I'm going to choose to be a victor. And it sounded like being a victim was your identity. Instead of being, number one, I'm a son of God, it was, no, I'm a victim. That's my number one identity. So what, what else besides God speaking to you made you choose to be a victor instead of staying in the victim mentality? Because I think it's great that God spoke to you. But was there really some revelation there of, I can't have that as my identity anymore? Sure. Yeah, 100%. I, I would say first thing, I got married. I got married. I don't want to carry that victim put into my relationship and into our marriage. Mm-hmm. I don't want to carry that in anymore. So, you know, I married, uh, I, I think, the best girl in the world. You know, I married a great, great woman who's mm-hmm. a woman of God who's and, and I didn't want to carry that into our marriage. And I've carried too much of junk into it, and she loves me through it. But, you know, I wanted to – I became a father, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to pass that down. You know, I wanted to kind of be mm. – you know, maybe in my own mind I see myself as, as the dam or the, the brick wall that maybe is going to stop with this generation. You know, my father had an affair. My mother was a dysfunction. My family was full of hurts and pains. And maybe, I, maybe I'm the one that won't pass it down to my kids and my grandkids. You know, uh, maybe I'll pass it, you know, I'll stop as much as I can through prayer and, and saying, you know, I'll do the hard work mm-hmm. in and, and Christ and be able. So I think those revelations become a father. And, and just because I, it was much more of a hurdle. I, you know, my life was, uh, my life was just in a bad spot. You know, holding on to being a victim took a lot more labor than being set free. Mm. You know, I, you know, I was, you know, everything that happened to me, I, I was, I was blaming others. You know, even the smallest things. So I was carrying this victim mentality around um, that, yeah, protected me, gave me an excuse for everything, and helped me win all the arguments. Oh, mm-hmm. I learned to be a victim as a child. You know, after the abuse, say to my mom when I, when I would know her, hey. Mom, you know, I want to stay out late, or I want a car, or I want a phone, or remember, it's the 80s, I want a VCR. Mm-hmm. Well, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. Well, you know what? Were you guys abused? Oh, there was, the car would come. The VCR would come. You know? Oh, so you so, really use that yeah. to your advantage oh, for manipulation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I got rid Let me tell you, God took me to the woodshed. You know, <laughs> I was, yeah. It was, you know, I, I got through high school because I put my head on my, in, on my desk, and there's a teacher asked me to do more, I'd say, hey, were you abused? Were you raped seven times a day? Were you stabbed? Mm-hmm. And what would they say? You know, okay, just put your head back down. Yeah. So yeah, I, and the Lord said, hey, you know, knock it off, Jack. Mm-hmm. You know, let me tell you, 
I went to the woodshed with the Lord on that one. Mm-hmm. Well, and you can't lead others to freedom when you have that that chip on your shoulder right. or when you're trying to right. uh, manipulate everybody else. Let's go back to, you said that you were working out a lot of this baggage after you got married, when you had children. Did you ever feel as though you were not worthy of your wife's love because of what had happened in your past? You know, I don't know if I ever felt not worthy. I just didn't know if I could reciprocate. You know, I, I saw, I don't know if I could ever uh, love her as well as she loved me. That's what I thought. Mm. I'll tell you this. When, when, I, when I first met my wife, when I first realized I was in love with her, I knew her for years, and she was like my, my, my friend's sister. Mm-hmm. So she was never on the radar. Yeah. You know what I mean? She's like, she was always this in my life. Mm-hmm. And I remember... I remember going to the Lord, and the Lord finally just hit me on the head and said, "Hello, McFly. She's right there." You know, <laughs> and, but uh, but I, I think what happened is, you know, I wanted to be able to love her in the fullness of God's grace, and I think that I would wasn't aware to be able. I had to overcome a lot of that so I could give her that love. Now she said I was already giving it to her. She said that I was already walking in that grace. Mm-hmm. So, but but there were milestones. You know, when I met my wife, and when we. When we had our child, our first child, I have my, my oldest as a son. And, of course, like any young couple, I was nervous, anticipating, exciting, you know, kind of confused. You know, it was just a wonderful time in our life. And, and I remember uh, my son was born in the normal way, and they put him in my arms. And I was walking around the hospital, minutes old, praying, crying. And, and the enemy tried to come in and say, no one ever loved you like that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe how much I love this baby. You know, I'd give my life last breath. I, you know, I would love this baby with all that I have. And and the enemy would come in and lie to me and say, no one ever loved you like that. Mm-hmm. And moments later, the Holy Spirit would come over me and say, you know, I love you. I've always loved you. I've always been your Abba Father. Mm-hmm. So those are the moments that I, I kind of look to where where um, I tried to overcome and give this to God. Mm-hmm. You said that you had had some trust issues, which meant, you know, you had some trust issues with the Lord. And oftentimes the way we see our father is how we see God. And when you became a father, do you think that changed the way you saw your relationship with Christ? Do you feel like there was a little bit more trust there with God? Oh, 100 percent. 100 percent. You know, obviously, I never knew what life was to be a father before I became one. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I was trying to say earlier. Before I told my wife I loved her, before, you know, I confessed my love as a young man does, and let's share this life together, I remember I, had, I started to trust her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started to trust well before the sparkle came in the eye and, and, and you know, I, is this trust that just, hey, you know, I trust her. I trust her. I want to I be around her. I can be open. I can be exposed. I can be honest. And in that trust is where our love began to grow. And I'd say for me or maybe many abused victims, Trust, trust and love are very connected. I, I think about it for anybody. You know, is there anybody that we trust that we don't love? Mm-hmm. You know, pretty much everybody we trust, we love, right? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. Have you? Uh, I, I, you don't have to answer this, but is sure. the your abuser? Do you ever have any contact with them? Are they even still alive? Did you ever go back to talk to them later on after becoming a Christian? Is as the story went on, I, you know, I did go back to my abuser. I did tell them I was a Christian. They were bitter, angry at God. They didn't want to hear anything about it. My abuser since has 
he's he's still alive, but his body is trapped in a disease. Mm-hmm. So he's bedridden. He he's he's just in a very poor state physically. So uh, there's really no way I can connect with him, and I have not connected with him, or I choose to connect with him in several years. Now, forgiveness has been given. Yeah, but it doesn't mean I'm going to have Christmas morning. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Right. So, There's got to be some so, boundaries. Know, I, I believe. Yeah, I, there are there are good faith boundaries. So, do I believe I forgave him? Uh, yes. Um, am I forgiving all the time? You know, forgiveness for me is a journey, mm-hmm. and the more that I discover myself, the more I'm able to forgive others, and the more I grow in Christ. For me, you know, I wish I could say, hey, it's instant, it's done. I mean, it was the cross for us. You know, Jesus said it is finished, and that forgiveness is done and complete. Mm-hmm. But I think my forgiveness for those who abuse us and hurt us is a continuing journey. So, yes, I believe that I've forgiven my my abuser, my mother, those who betrayed me and hurt me. But, again, doesn't mean I want to have Thanksgiving. You know, so, right. But, again, I think that, uh, you know, again, my abuser today is uh, bedridden. He's uh, unfortunately, well, I guess, you know, God has his way or whatever. He's sick. Mm-hmm. So. Now, yeah. okay, did you, you said you met your biological dad. Tell me that story. I did. What was that for you? I mean, you're 45 years old and you finally yeah, met was, your biological you know, dad. I tell, people, I tell people it happened at the right time in my life. I was 45 years old, so I already made enough mistakes on my own. You know, yeah. uh, so it was at the right time. I didn't need him to be daddy. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't need him to, because, uh, you know, I, I didn't need that. Uh, so it was really great. He didn't want to be that. But it was nice for me to have a connection with my father. No, it wasn't warm and fuzzy. And I, we played baseball. I ran into his arms. But it was <laughs> at least a relationship. Uh, he did tell me he loved me. He did tell me that he thought about me. He did tell me he asked me for forgiveness. So here it's kind of different. Now I'm the one, you know. Uh, you know, again, pouring out forgiveness to my father again. And, and uh, so, so yeah, I met him and it was nice. I mean, we had a very uh, uh, relationship that revolved around sports, you know, when the, when one of our favorite teams, the New England Patriots or the Boston Red Sox came on, we, there was a texting conversation. It was never super deep, but I got to know, like, you know, my health, you know, uh, what's, what's your health because what runs through you is going to run through me. So right. I got to know some, you know, so, it was it was at the right time in my life. I think if I would have met him earlier, I would have been angry. You know, I would have been that mm-hmm. angry kid. I would have been that angry. But again, 45, boy, I put my foot in my mouth enough times at 45 to be able to pull out some grace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> And is he still around today? Do you still have contact with him? Uh, he had passed. Oh, he so has. I, only, I got him in my life for about four years before he passed. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But I'm thankful for those years to at least get to know who he was. Do you, in the church, because you pastor, do you feel as though you have had gentlemen come around you to kind of be that surrogate father that you never oh, had? Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. I guess, you know, I've I've collected father figures wherever I've gone, and there God has sent men in my life, even from the earliest ages of stepping in the church till to today. Mm-hmm. Even in past 50 years old, there are there are men to, that lead us, that that have given me wisdom and support and prayer. So, yeah, 100% I've had those uh, those father figures show up in my life. Sure. Now I want to kind of turn this around. You have such a wonderful story, a story of forgiveness. You talk a lot about it in your book, Forgive the Nightmare, and I want to make sure I'll put all the information in the show notes so if anybody wants to go ahead and buy the book, they can get that. But let's talk to the people right now that have gone through what you're going through that maybe haven't experienced the forgiveness yet. 
I want you tell me why should they choose to become a victor instead of staying in victimhood? Talk to those people right now. Well, for me, I understand where they're at. You know, it's hard to let go. Mm-hmm. When you've been abused and hurt, rejected and betrayed, you build up walls. You build up systems that protect you mm. because you've been so betrayed, mm-hmm. so hurt. So, and then we turn on the TV and people say, don't be a victim. And we go, that's all I know. I don't oh. know how to be anything else. Right. That's my life story. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been protecting myself since I was a child, since that man walked out, since my dad did this or my mom did that. Or... So I, I understand, but I think at the quiet, the stillness at night, you know, you say to yourself, I don't want to be this. I want to let go. But it's so hard to. You, you wake up in the morning and go, today's the day. And then a word, a smell, a taste, something comes across and brings you right back. Mm-hmm. So for me, forgiveness is freedom. Freedom from all that past. Mm-hmm. But the journey of forgiveness, that's the hard part. I could tell you what the promise is. I think everybody knows what the promise is. Mm-hmm. But the journey, the journey is difficult. Sometimes the journey is two steps forward and one step back, one step forward and two steps back. I mean, it is wrestling with the past and self and self-esteem and value and worth. I, I mean, I know because when I walked in the room, any room, for most of my life, I thought I was junk. I thought I was the guy that shouldn't be there, the least important. I had no value to anybody. Mm-hmm. So in that journey, and again, what does that journey look like? Well, for me in my book, I put a couple of what I call a mile marker, some things that I held on to to help me get through it. But it's going to be different for everybody. But we can all hold on to Jesus mm-hmm. and, and lean on him and trust in the word of God. So, yeah, it's a difficult journey. I'm not going to kid you. I'm not going to say, hey, you know, say a prayer and it's over. You know, it's, it, the prayer starts us. The prayer keeps us. The prayer leads us. God's strength goes before us. God opens the door. And, yes, can he do those miracles? 100%. I believe that 100%. But once, sometimes it's just just walking in that place. And some days are going to feel less, so some days are going to be worse than others. Mm-hmm. But others, there are going to be some times where God does great things. So. Mm-hmm. No, that's really good. Where can I find your book? Well, you can go a couple places. First of all, you can go to our website, forgivingthenightmare.com. Forgivingthenightmare.com. You can go to our website find it there. But we're also on Amazon. I can't mm-hmm. believe that. A guy like me that's on Amazon. This <laughs> makes me feel cool. Right? Who'd have thought a dyslexic man with a third grade reading level would then all of a sudden become in his 50s, and now he's a published author and an ordained minister? Who'd have thought, right? Well, yeah, you know, I start, I start my book off. The first line is that they say that God has a sense of humor because he made the platypus, mm. you know, a, a, a mammal with a, a water mammal with a duck. That, that, that lays, lays eggs. eggs. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And I said, but God showed me as a sense of humor because he asked a dyslexic, someone who graduated a third grade level, a special ed student to write a book. You know, I'm mm-hmm. thinking, Lord. So, so yeah, but you can go to Amazon and mm-hmm. find it there, at, uh, Forgiven the Nightmare on Amazon Books, or go to our website, ForgivenTheNightmare.com, and there's a link to Amazon on there. And oh, yeah. where can I find you? I know that I can follow Forgive the Nightmare on Facebook. Are you on Instagram as well? I, I I just got on Twitter. I am I'm still learning. <laughs> oh, you learning finally made to the twenty first century. I, okay. I did, yes. <laughs> my kids make fun of me. My my teenagers, they make fun of me. Uh, I tell them that yes, I was cool at one time. They say not anymore. <laughs> but uh yeah. But You're like, yeah, yes I, I was. Uh, I liked I, Petra. I'm so cool. 
That's right. Hey, <laughs> I you know I rock Z's. I mean, my jacket had patches on it. I mean, come on, you know, I I didn't tie my work boots, you know. I, I knew I knew what cool was, but you know they they um they don't think that anymore. They just kind of roll their eyes at me, but. So, yeah, the best place to find me is at our website at ForgivingTheNightmare.com or on Facebook. I just got on Twitter, and I'm learning all the time about the different media platforms. Yeah, it's sometimes it's really hard to, to keep up with everything. So ForgiveTheNightmare.com. You can also find the book on Amazon. You can follow Mark at Facebook, Forgive the Nightmare, as well as Twitter. Mark, any last words before we leave today? Any last words to anybody out there that's really struggling with forgiveness right now? Step by step, precept by precept. You know, sometimes that mountain seems so big. Mm-hmm. You say, I'll never overcome it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we try to, you know, that old story, how to eat an elephant one bite at a time, that's how I would say do it. It's one step. Give yourself grace because God has. Yeah. Give yourself mercy because God does. Mm-hmm. You know, allow yourself to walk through it. Find a team of people. Find friends. Find, you know, if, if it's a counselor, if it's a psychologist, if it's a coach, all those are great tools to go through this stuff. Mm-hmm. Give yourself grace, but hold on. Don't let go. Even in the darkest of place when you say, I tried and I can't go on any further. You can. Mm-hmm. You can. So I would just, I would just say keep, keep going, chasing, following, stepping, walking in, in that grace and that mercy of forgiveness. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Mark. Again, that is ForgiveTheNightmare.com, Amazon, Facebook, as well as Twitter. Thanks again, Mark, for being here today. God bless you. Thanks for having me. Thank you once again for joining Mark and I on that very vulnerable conversation. If you find yourself in the same place Mark did, whether it's in an abusive situation or maybe you are in a place where you need to forgive people in your past, please reach out to a trusted counselor or pastor. You can also find Mark's book in the show notes. Don't forget to download, share, and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I will see you next week.